Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Spence into the slot, hands it off, Kempe with a shot, and he scores! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Up high, Fiala feeds it right side, gets it back from Kempe to Kempe, one-timer, he scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We've got three, count them, three actual hockey games to talk about. Two in Australia, one in Anaheim. That's what we're going to do. We are here high above the ice at Honda Center in Anaheim, California. Austin Stanovich having a good chuckle to me on my left as I flubbed the original intro and went back and did it again. Austin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Hockey is back, so awesome yeah i appreciate you hopping on here with me uh josh schaefer and i just finished calling the game here in anaheim kings versus ducks ducks win three to two kings win in the shootout two two to nothing the part that really mattered um but josh had some stuff to take care of and i had less stuff to take care of than i thought i would so you were kind enough to hop on we're going to treat this like an ordinary episode during the regular season i want to try it out this year we're going to go ahead and we're going to do king of the week okay for week one of the preseason, which right. includes both games in Australia and here in Anaheim. I sprung that on you. I didn't give you any time to prepare. So we're going to start with runner-up. I'm going to kick it off just to give you a chance to... Okay. Start with runner-up or honorable mention? Or, uh, honorable mention. Excuse okay, me. Okay. Good catch. We're starting with honorable mention. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Francesco Pinelli. Okay. Because he had an unbelievable goal tonight yep. in the second period. Just a laser of a shot. Uh, it is what I used to refer to as the Craig Johnson special coming down the right side, a left-handed shot, uh, taking the uh, shot from the top hand, top side of the, uh, the right face off circle, trying to go top shelf, far side of the net. Now he didn't make it all the way to the far corner, but he definitely got that shot up off the ice. Uh, and then the rest of the game, I thought passing, skating, stick handling, even throwing his body around, getting a little physical. Uh, during the third period, we heard some nice stuff about what he did in Vegas. So for me, my uh, honorable mention is Francesco Pinelli. Yeah, it's a great pick. That's actually who I was going to go with because every time okay. I watch him, he's just – I get more impressed with him every time. Like you said, the skating, the skill, the shot, everything he has. But because you took him already, I'll give a shout-out to Alex Ferrier, who, That's perfect. like Frankie Pinelli, is so impressive every time you watch him. Also got a shout-out from Marco Sturm, who said it's what we expect from him. That kind of performance is what we expect, and that's kind of where he's at at this point. He's going to get reps with the Ontario Reign. I wouldn't be surprised to see him up the Los Angeles Kings in the not-too-distant future. The two of them are wearing 78 and 73 right now in training camp, and Alex Laferriere appears to have grabbed a spot on the top line in Ontario with Udon and Tynan. He's been skating with them in practice all week long in training camp at, uh, at Toyota Sports Center. He got a chance to play with them tonight. I mean, that line looked... 
the most dangerous of any players here in Anaheim. Now, it's no surprise. Udon and Tynan are two premier AHL yeah. players, both with tons of NHL experience. Um, but Alex Laferriere didn't look out of place at Man, all. He fit right in. Yeah. You couldn't tell that he's a guy that's played four professional games in his career so far. Yeah. Um, Runner-up for me is going to be Jordan Spence in his two games in Australia. Um, I... I'm going to try as hard as I can not to dwell on the fact that he was born there because he seems just as tired of it as I am. Uh, but as an opportunity for a young player on a team laden with veterans, traveling all that distance, you know, yes, he's gotten NHL experience. Yes, he's played games with the Kings, but he is battling for a roster spot, uh, presumably with Brand Clark when the two groups are reunited later this week. And I thought he looked uh, very good. Frankly, I thought he looked better in the first game and the second game, and there are a ton of people talking up his performance in the second game. Maybe I was watching some else. I didn't think he looked bad in the second game, but I thought he looked better in the first game. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's definitely some uh, playing back-to-back games at that level is extremely yeah. difficult, and especially you have the. I know they've been there for a week, but I don't think you get used to that time change very quickly. I mean, there's a lot of factors. I mean. Like his entire career, there's a lot of factors where he yep. has Jordan Spence, he yep. fights through it, and he still just performs. So I I love that pick. Uh, my runner-up, another young guy, Alex Turcotte. He mm. only played in the one game, but, man, he was electric in that one game. I thought he was, at times, the Kings' best player in Game 2 in Australia. And it's just, for a guy that's dealt with so much adversity in his NHL career, or his professional career so far with the injuries and everything, it's just good to see him playing his best hockey, playing healthy hockey, and if he can battle for a spot, make himself the first call-up, if nothing else. It's huge for the Kings and huge for him personally. I have a feeling we'll come to the con- same conclusion on King of the Week. It's Adrian Kempe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Three, yeah. <laughs> three yeah. goals in two games. You know, one of them is just a dynamite shot. One of them's a one-timer on the power play. Another dynamite yeah. shot. And then the empty netter. But he also looked engaged. Uh, in that second game, it was Byfield, Turcotte, and Kempe, yeah. which makes him the veteran on that line. Um, you know, it's, as you said, it's a tough trip. It's 17-hour difference, I believe. I don't know how long the flight was. The facilities are diff- excuse me, different. The ice quality was questionable. The opponent was unknown, right? It's yeah. preseason game. You're playing in back-to-back games, the first two games of the preseason. A player you know, of his age and experience would not ordinarily do that. And anytime someone would, would text me or call me or talk to me about you know, moments that disappointed them in the first two games, I'd shrug and I'd say, it's first two games yeah. of the preseason. They're in Australia. Like, there's a million reasons you can cut them slack for performances you might not have been happy with. Adrian Kempe didn't need any of those excuses. He looked dangerous and sharp. Yeah, he's fantastic. I yeah. think I've been on this podcast four times, and three of those times, yeah. Adrian Kempe's been the king of the sure. week, which is just a testament to his play over the last two years. And like you said, he was a veteran, kind of the play driver in the second game. We hear all the time, we heard it from Andre Kopitar and Tom McClellan before they left, him growing as a leader. I mean, every year for the past two years, he's just gotten better and better. He has a 35-goal season. You think, oh, man, he's hit his peak. How's he going to get better? 41 goals. How's he going to get better? Well, he's going to take on more of a leadership role, be more of a play driver. I mean, the guy's just fantastic and just keeps getting better, which you don't often see from a player at his age. So we didn't do a post-game show uh, here tonight uh, on the radio. Josh Schaefer and I were on iHeart radio on the la kings audio network um so i do want to backtrack a little bit and talk about this game yep. uh i don't i'm not familiar enough with the ducks group to know how much experience they had as mm-hmm. a unit mm-hmm. but the kings group 
was a ton of new guys and then some players that right angus booth his first experience playing on an nhl squad in an nhl building cole krieger uh you know played for the ontario rain last season but first pro camp uh wyatt wiley spent three years uh in lehigh valley i think on an elc new newcomer Connaughton, Hicketts, Santini, Maltsev, Udon, like the whole roster. And even a guy like Ingham, who was not new to the roster, missed all of last season with an injury. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that I felt like that top line, Udon, Tynan, and Laferriere were the most dangerous. And I just wonder how much of that had to do with chemistry. Because it looked like the Ducks players knew how to play with each other. Mm -hmm. And it looked to me like the Kings players were relying a lot on individual efforts and, and skills. Yeah, they definitely grew into the game. You could tell at the beginning it looked like five separate guys all on the ice playing a pickup together that didn't really know each other. Mm -hmm. And then as you kind of got into the game, they began to look more like a five-man unit. <clears throat> like you said about you know people texting you about the first two games in Australia, it's the first two games. It's kind of the same thing. You don't really want to make sweeping judgments about anything right now, but the guys you expected to look good looked good. TJ Tynan's still a dominant player at this level. Like we mentioned, LaFerriere and Pinelli looked really good. Uh, special shout out to Hayden Hodgson, who just came out like a firecracker, almost taking someone out in the first shift, or took himself out trying to take someone out in the first <laughs> shift of the game, getting into a fight. Um, yeah, I mean, it, kind of a classic preseason game. A little rusty at first, and they kind of grew into it, and fun to have hockey back i guess yeah there was a sequence in the third period on the power play francesco pinelli did something that i've only ever seen tynan and spence do at the ahl level and that is he took over a shift even when he didn't have the puck it felt like he was directing the flow of the play he had a really nice give and go not a short give and go a long give and go where he made himself available to receive the puck back, and there really was no other option for, I don't even remember who it was that he that he set the play up with, but was really controlling the play. Didn't score, but it looked great, and, and like I said in the King of the Week talk, just shooting, passing, skating, physicality. You know, I, I don't think there's an opportunity for him to take a really serious run at a roster spot, but if we're talking about fighting for playing time on the rain or fighting for for uh you know a, a spot in line to get you know like if if getting on the list to be a call-up was uh was a checking in for a southwest flight francesco pinelli checked in as early as you could he's in the a you know he wants to be in the a group not right. in not in the c group yeah i mean he just again every time you watch this guy it's more and more impressive. He's just going to continue to get more comfortable at this level. It's not an easy jump to make going from junior hockey to professional hockey, and he's making it look relatively easy right now, which is very difficult to do. And again, Alex LaFerriere, I just keep going back to him because he does everything so well. He's maybe doesn't have the dynamism of a Pinelli. His hands don't pop. His skating doesn't pop in the same way, but always in the right position, always makes the smart play and always makes the right play which i think is so important and again fits right in on to a line with udon and tynan two guys a couple hundred professional games each to jump in with those guys and not look out of place is extremely impressive so let's talk about the australia group again um you know i just like i said i just finished uh calling the game it was my first experience uh doing color commentary for congratulations by the way yeah but i'm i'm 
in my own head because I said a bunch of stuff to Josh, right? I did pregame and intermissions with Josh, and then I talked during Josh's game. So I'm trying not to repeat myself, but I have to remind myself that people listening to this podcast may or may not have been listening to the broadcast. All right, now I'm just talking way too much. But I do want to talk about the Australia group because Jacob Muvarari, mm -hmm. I thought, had an outstanding second game and outstanding by my personal standards. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that because it wasn't even the goal for me. The goal was nice, but I don't care about, you know, it's a slap shot off one timer. Like, okay, fine. But I think I've said this before on the podcast. For me, the measure of how good I think someone is is how many times do I find myself saying, oh, nice play. Right. And then looking up and seeing who the number was. And in the one game that Jacob Muvarari played, there were at least four, maybe five plays where I went, oh, nice play. And they were all defensive plays. And the one got played on, on, in a highlight, slow-mo highlight, Logan Cooley making his move to the net. And, you know, Nick and Jim were talking about it. And it's like, oh, Logan Cooley makes an unbelievable play. But it just, you know, falls apart there at the end. And it was like, right, because Jacob Muvarari had, had perfect positioning, shut it down, nothing happened. And there were, like I said, four or five plays like that, simple, unassuming, non-flashy. He was in the right place at the right time. His foot or his stick got on the puck and broke it up and nothing happened and you know i i, I think he's going to be a much bigger factor in the battle for that third uh lefty spot than i think uh, certainly i had had mentioned before yeah i mean he he did himself a lot of favors battling for that third lefty spot that seems pretty wide open although the guy that really stood out for me the guy he's battling with and toby bjornfoot and like you're saying with Moverari, it wasn't one play or anything necessarily it was the confidence he played with is a confidence I don't think we've really ever seen him play with at the NHL level. They, uh, I remember talking to Jim Fox last year about it, and it was this guy needs to use his feet to his advantage. It's his best asset. It's a premier asset even amongst NHL players, and he used it both offensively and defensively. Multiple times he got the puck in his own zone instead of panicking and just trying to go high off the glass like we see from him a lot. He just skated it out because he has that ability, and I think that if he's doing that, that is his spot on the roster, even with a guy like Movarari playing well. You know, we had a conversation with Mark Unetti earlier this summer about the danger of drafting a goalie because by the time you develop him, he's going to wind up on a different team. Defensemen also take longer yeah. to develop. And I just wonder, a guy like Bjornfoot signs his ELC, you know, comes over young. Um, this is the, the first year of his new contract, right? He's spent his three years on his ELC. They have a tough decision to make yeah. with with it's really the three three LD because Spencer Clark don't need to clear waivers. Yeah. Muvrari, Bjornfoot, and England all do. And Muvrari doesn't make a ton of money. Bjornfoot doesn't make a ton of money. And they've obviously given England a contract presumably big enough that it would dissuade anybody from claiming him. Mm -hmm. But I I mean I, I mean, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. For oh, yeah, for sure. I do not envy Rob Blake and Tom McClellan and the players or the people making that call. I'd also say great point about defensemen taking a longer time. And I think Bjornfoot's a perfect example of something that, you know, fans love. They want prospects to be in the NHL right away. I'm the same way. I was totally on the play of the kids bandwagon. I think he's an example of when that can go wrong, though. I think he was brought up way too early and it killed his confidence and it took him a year in the American League to kind of get back. I, you know, 
that thought process, I am a good player, I can skate it out on my own, I don't have to play this really conservative version of myself that doesn't get the best out of me. So I think it's a he's a, another really good example of how patience can pay off with young players. A common knock I hear against Bjornfoot is, well, I don't know what he is. I, I don't know what he does. And I would just shrug and say, well, when have they ever made it clear what they expect from him, right? He comes in. Uh, Drew Doughty said like one nice thing about him and you'd think that you know Drew Doughty had proposed to him on Instagram like they played three games together and I'm still hearing people talk about it it's like it's three games that Drew Doughty's like yeah he seems like he's good I don't know um and then he's up two years ago because of all the injuries he plays 70 games but again like what role was he playing that season sometimes he was a paired with Mikey Anderson and Mikey Anderson was playing the right side sometimes he was on the third pair then last year you know he's playing with Roy he's playing third pair like so it's it could almost be viewed as a strength that he has been able to survive in this organization now this will be his fourth year without being given a very clearly defined role right like Jordan Spence comes in I know what Jordan Spence is I know what's expected of him I know what role Mikey Anderson's going to play I know exactly what's expected of him Sean Walker Matt Roy same thing right flip sides of the same coin Sean Dersey like Toby Bjornfoot I don't know what they want from him I can't even imagine being Toby Bjornfoot. Like, what do you want from me? No, absolutely. It, I mean, those kind of things I think get lost sometimes. That these to, players are doing. To what? be clear, sorry, I'm sure they have communicated. Oh so yeah, of I course, just, of I just course. Don't yeah. Know what it is. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. what I mean. I yeah. think that's what get, gets lost is that we don't know right. what's being like. You look at a player and go, "Why is he doing that?" Well, that might be the kind of play they're asking him. Why isn't he skating it out all the time? Why isn't he jumping up the play? They might be telling him not to do that, and we don't know. And it's hard to criticize players on those kind of things. I want to talk about Quentin Byfield as well because uh, I am – I don't know if I'm on the record yet, but I will be now. I think he's going to have a tremendous year. Mm-hmm. And I understand that people are nervous or that feel like he's not living up to his draft profile. I saw in game one what I have seen throughout his career, which is a tendency to defer – to veteran players when he has the puck on his stick when he's already in a supporting position when the play is developing no problem right Kempe's first goal he's right there by the net screening the goalie there for rebounds but when he enters the zone Kopitar is a few feet away from him even though he didn't have a great shooting opportunity he passes the puck to Kopitar who also didn't have a great shooting opportunity and got a not great shot on net Um, the second game with Turcotte at center All of a sudden, I thought we saw Byfield get a little bit more aggressive, Mm -hmm. not deferring, starting to drive to the net a little more, getting more scoring chances. So it's going to be a tough road for him because he's got to get over that impulse, assuming that what I'm seeing is correct, Mm -hmm. to defer to Kopitar. He's got to start creating his own scoring opportunities. I think he's perfectly capable. I mean, obviously he's capable. He's drafted second overall. And regardless of whether or not you think he should have been drafted second overall or third overall... He was going to get drafted in the top three. Um, did you see what I saw in those two Australia games? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think the Quinton Byfield conversation has almost become the most boring conversation around the Kings. Yeah. And I say that as someone who's written multiple articles over the summer <laughs> sure. because it is an important one, but it's also just so boring. Because I mm-hmm. think you said it. Every conversation about Quinton Byfield, regardless if you're on the he's not good enough or he's about to blow up, you're saying the same things just with a different end yeah. conclusion. And I think that's really what it is. And I, I see the same thing you see. There's He's on the cusp of being what they want him to be. It's just – I mean, and it's hard to do. You have a 
first ballot Hall of Famer as your center. You have a two-time 30-plus goal scorer. Like, that's just by nature, you're going to be a little deferential to them. You're a 20-year-old kid who's not trying to, I mean, step on toes might not be the perfect perfect way to put it, but you're not trying to step on any toes. And, I mean, again, you watch Quinton Byfield and you go, this is a six foot five, 225-pound kid that can skate like the wind and has great hands. Why is there any complaining about him? Yeah, yeah I know there. I know the goals aren't there. I know the point totals might not be what everyone wants them to be. But I mean, it's so obvious what Quentin Byfield is and what he does. And I think Andre Kopitar, before they left for Australia, put it perfectly. He made their line better. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I think Andre Kopitar knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so if he's telling me he's done a good job, I think he's done a good job. You know. Alex LaFerriere was born October 28, 2001. Uh, Quentin Byfield, I don't think is, I mean, he was born August 19th, 2002, right? So what I was about to say, the reason I looked up the birthdays, what I was about to say was if Quentin Byfield could play with the kind of confidence and drive that we saw Alex LaFerriere playing with tonight, then we'd be in great shape. Well, he's younger than Alex (laughs) LaFerriere, right? Like, that's what's so bonkers about, and this is another reason I want to get rid of the draft conversation for another day. (laughs) So much of this conversation is just loaded on the fact that he was drafted second overall, and the guy drafted after him has been performing incredibly well for a bad team. Yeah, I think that's it. Todd last year was talking about the best thing that ever happened to Arthur Kaliev was a drop to the second round because then it completely changed the expectation of the conversation about him. The other thing I will point out as well is something that you've pointed out this summer was Quentin Byfield telling us that he lost 20 pounds at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I don't think people uh, – your conversation with Mark Unetti, he kind of made the point like, go put twenty pound, a 20-pound 20 vest on and do your day and mm-hmm. then take it off and see how much of a difference there is. And not only that, to regain 20 pounds in the middle of the season, to bulk 20 pounds in the middle of the season is incredibly difficult. I mean, that would be so hard to do. And if he's playing at 205 or 210 pounds, that drastically changes what he can do as a player. Not that I was playing hockey at the level that Quentin Byfield uh, is, because I certainly was not. But when I was, I don't know, 22, I went to Alaska one summer and worked, I don't know, from 7 a.m. sometimes to midnight, sometimes to 1 a.m. the following day, seven days a week for six weeks doing manual labor on the docks. And I came back in ridiculously good shape with muscles in places that I didn't know that I would ever be capable of making them. And when I went to go play hockey for the first time after that summer, I didn't know how to do it anymore because I was completely different. Yeah. it. Oh, it. I mean, it plays a massive, massive yeah. role on you. And I know I already hear the people saying, well, you're just making excuses for him. I don't think I am. Yeah. I mean, I really don't. Um, another player taken in the first round of the draft that I feel like we should talk about is Brant Clark. He was scheduled to go on the trip to Australia. He did not. Um, you got a chance to talk to him. He was made available to the media on Friday. Friday? Yes. Yeah. Friday. Um, and you spoke to him. You can check Austin's article uh, interviewing Brant Clark out on LA Hockey Now. LAHockeyNow.com? Yes, correct. Um, I thought he said exactly what he ought to say in that situation. Yeah, I think Brant Clark's a very mature young man at this point and mm-hmm. is an incredible hockey player, and I can't wait to see him mesh those two things when everyone when the main group gets back from Australia, and I think he will. And the, I don't, I'm trying to think of the, the perfect way to say this. I want to say the world is his oyster, but that just seems so <laughs> corny. But, like, this is a kid who just has 
an absurd amount of skill. Mm-hmm. Just an insane level of talent, and there is no cap on him, in my opinion. I mean, I'm someone who, who's been very clear, don't get your expectations too high with someone who's coming in and fighting for a third-pairing D-spot. But then you watch a kid play, and you're like, mm, I kind of see why people get that excited, because he is magnificent. I uh, Ordinarily, I wouldn't do this, but I thought it was funny. Um, I saw a comment on Reddit where you posted your <laughs> a link to your article. And I had seen this comment tossed out a couple of other places, so I just want to nip it in the bud, cause I, mainly because I think it's funny. And the person was asking, you know, does anybody else get the feeling that this might be COVID-related because of Australia, blah, blah, blah? And it was like he was standing two feet away yeah. from you. <laughs> no mask. Like, no, it's not COVID. No, no. He nothing to do with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely nothing to do with that. I just thought it was funny. Like, there's no conspiracy here. <laughs> there's no... He just didn't go. He didn't practice. He didn't participate in the scrimmages he didn't uh, play at tonight. training camp. Yeah, exactly. I, if he was healthy, he would have played tonight. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but what have you thought about the first? You were there for the first two days of camp. There was no scrimmage on Saturday. What was there? Anybody that stood out for you or anything you saw? I mean, it's it's the group that didn't go to Australia, yeah. so there's less familiarity with the players. Yeah, I'd say the guys that stood out are the ones we already talked about today. Frankie Pinelli, Alex Barrier. I mean, I will I will keep singing their praises as much as you'll let me because mm-hmm. they just have been so impressive. I may have to stop you eventually. Yeah, no, <laughs> we'll see. But those two guys really stood out to me. Um, I thought Mikhail Maltsev, a new guy coming in, hopefully for Ontario, being a, a guy that can help mentor the younger players and kind of insulate seems maybe a little unfair to the younger players, but maybe insulate them a little bit as they adapt to – professional hockey i thought he looked he came as advertised he looks like a very good american hockey league player he's a lot bigger than i thought he was which can only help that roster other than those guys i mean i don't want to be critical of anyone but you have to take it for what it is you're not going to learn all that much from two days of drills and a scrimmage that's kind of half speed and no one's really you know i'm not going to be overly critical of samuel hellenius whose game is based on being really physical and he's not trying to hurt any of his teammates so i don't want to you know what i mean there's one player um, that I saw in the scrimmages and during training camp that we didn't see tonight that I know you and I talked about. Um, so I'm going to bring up his name and hopefully jog your memory. And that's Akil Thomas. Akil Thomas was centering a line of Maltsev and Hodgson in the scrimmages at training camp at Toyota Sports Performance Center. And for another guy who's battling back from injury like Jacob Ingham, I thought he's looked dynamite. I thought that trio has looked really incredible. I don't know why he wasn't with the group tonight. Marco Sturm told us after the game they want to try Maltsev out at center. He's had experience with that in the past. But at training camp in those scrimmages, that trio and the Udon, Tyne, and LaFerriere trio, those six guys felt to me like ready-made lines that we would see in the season. I'm hoping to see Akil Thomas in a preseason game because he has looked tremendous at training camp. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought him up because I'm kicking myself now for forgetting <laughs> him because he did. He, I mean, he looks great. I he He's the a great player to have because of his ver- – he has that high-end skill at some draft second overall. It's time put up a lot of points in juniors, but is also just a workhorse and physically very strong. Like, just a coach's dream, really. Like, talked about Alex Ferrier always being in the right place, always making the right decisions. That is Akil Thomas and then add in some really high-end skill. I That's a great – that's a great call for me. I'm glad you brought him up. Just to sort of blend the two groups um... – there's a group of players that I think is not going to be as predictable as maybe we all thought, and that's the goaltenders. 
Um, each goaltender played two periods in Australia. Um, David Riddick only allowed one goal, I believe, and it was late in the game. That you know, there was three to one. Yeah. I don't. It was a two-period shutout, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, for David Riddick. Um, Cam Talbot allowed one goal. It was a rough goal. I had a disagreement with <clears throat> my dad earlier today about whether or not it was a bad goal or a good goal. He wasn't thrilled with it. My take on it is, listen, if it had been a king that scored that goal, we wouldn't be slamming the other team's goaltender. We'd just yeah. be like, oh, man, well, you know, if, if right, if Alex Turcotte scores yeah. that goal, we're like, yeah, that's why we drafted him for the row. Amazing. So I'm not beating Cam Talbot up over that. And then Jacob Ingham announces his presence with authority at the rookie faceoff in Vegas, comes in tonight. Yes, they lost, um, but I thought he played great tonight. Yeah, I thought he looked very good. I will. Great might be a little bit hard. Yeah, I mean, he, I he, thought he looked very good. Yeah, he looked solid. Um, I will take a, a slight page out of Glenn Murray's book and say that these are goalies, and they're sure. for me very difficult to really judge. I, I kind of go, did he stop the puck? Then he looked pretty good to me. But right. I will agree with you that it's nice to see Cam Talbot stop a lot of pucks mm-hmm. for a position where a lot of people were concerned. Seeing him do that maybe puts a little bit of that concerned to bed i'll also say if a goalie doesn't play well in preseason always important to remember that these games are they lack structure a lot of the times you have guys who haven't played together or playing together you end up with mistakes and i'll show you know pretty bad ice so it's going to cause their be happy that cam table played really good don't be too critical if someone doesn't play well though don't you know don't make again don't make any huge judgments off a couple preseason games but watching cam talbot stop a lot of bucks should fill you with encouragement. And to be clear, Jacob Ingham is still only on an AHL contract, so I'm yeah. not proposing that he makes no. a play for it. But one of those three goalies, Talbot, Copley, and Riddick, will wind up in Ontario. Um, Eric Portillo is on an NHL two-way contract. He will likely start out in Ontario. Yeah. Jacob Ingham, I don't know that I expected that he would battle for a spot here in Ontario, yeah. but he may very well, in which case they have to make a decision about like, – whichever one of the three goalies yeah. is down there, and then Eric Portillo. And JF Brube is in camp on a PTO. Like mm-hmm. It's just I think it may wind up being a much more interesting conversation than, oh, well, it's Copley and Talbot because they make the most money. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely think there's a lot of assumptions about the goal, the goaltending position for this Kings team that maybe shouldn't have been being made just because even looking at, like you said, people assumed Cam Talbot being Copley, that's probably still what I assume. David Riddick's a guy with a lot of NHL experience and a lot of NHL success. I mean, I think I'm not looking at his numbers right now. He might have better NHL numbers than Phoenix Copley. He certainly has more significantly more games. Right. I don't know if career-wise the numbers are better, but career 2.87 goals against save percentage 904. That might actually be exactly what Phoenix Copley's are, but 172 games. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that David Riddick will take Phoenix Copley's right. spot. Phoenix Copley did an incredible job coming in and saving the Kings this season. I, I'm a little hesitant to say that, but certainly came in and did his job and then some. Even if even if it winds up exactly as we all predicted, which is Talbot and Copley in the NHL, Portillo and Riddick at the AHL, and even if Jacob Bingham winds up starting the season in, in uh, Greenville with mm-hmm. the Swamp Rabbits, I just think it's going to be a more interesting conversation than, than, and, than I thought it might be. Yeah, well, and Cam Talbot's 36 now. Yeah, There's always the chance of injury he had some injury issues last year i know he said he's 100 percent healthy i believe him but when you get up to 36 there's this one thing that you learn when you get older <laughs> is that you're you're 100 healthy until you're not yeah and exactly. sometimes it's as dumb as you sneeze too hard and you 
crack your rib. Yeah. Well, um, I think you've mentioned in a, in a podcast over the summer, who would have predicted that Phoenix Copley is the starter for the Kings last year in February? Nobody. Over the summer. No one. Not a no single human being. No. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up because I've been here a very long time and I am just absolutely tired of the sound of my own voice. Austin Sanovich, thank you so much for joining me. But before we let you go, where can people find your work? Uh, they can find me at lahockeynow.com. They can find me on Twitter at asanovich68. Uh, I'm pretty active on the Kings subreddit. So if you go to Los Angeles Kings subreddit, I'll be there. And you can follow the LA Hockey Now Facebook page. There you go. And check out LA Hockey Now for the uh, exclusive conversation with Brent Clark. Thank you, Jess. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We will talk to you again very soon. <laughs>